Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. Now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Good evening and welcome to the program, everyone. My name is Michael Anthony Ingram. Tonight, my very special guest is prize-winning poet Benito Pastoriza Iyoto. Benito, hello. Hello, Michael. How are you? I'm quite greetings well. From, <laughs> greetings from South Texas. Yes, I love it. I love it. I love it. Let's begin this journey, okay? Yes. What is poetry? You've published a lot. You've been all over the place in terms of your writing. What is poetry? To start a conversation about poetry is actually a very good question that you're asking. When understanding or to understand the meaning of poetry, the writer or reader needs to go back to the birth of the word. The word poetry comes from, it comes from classical Greek, and it was called poesis, or it was pronounced pistis, which in classical Greek, in the classical Greek civilization, it meant creation, it meant building, constructing, and invention. So that makes, um, it makes poetry, this beautiful genre of literature, makes poetry a vehicle of poetic and philosophical constructions that help human beings better understand the world. Actually, I have a little story here. There was an important poet from Chile. His name was Vicente Guidovro. And he, he would say, todo poeta es un pequeño dios, which means every poet is a small god. Why? Because going back to that definition, right? Poetry mm-hmm. is all about creation, about creating. So a poet does that. It creates, he creates or she creates worlds for you. All right. Well, given what you know about poetry in terms of its definition, in terms of its it's it's way of being in terms of our own our own stuff for the most part why is it important yes good question the importance of poetry well poetry is important because it's the written and oral expression of the human soul when we read poetry we can better understand the human condition in all the historical circumstances that comes with the condition of being human. It's no surprise to us, uh, Michael, for example, that great presidents like Obama, Biden, Lincoln, John F. Kennedy, they were all avid readers of, of poetry. And when they wrote their speeches, you could see that they were poetic. And it was no surprise that for their inaugural um, ceremonies, they invited poets. Poets like Robert Frost, Elizabeth Alexander, Richard Blanco, 
Amanda Gorman, because these leaders saw the importance of poetry, because poetry was the soul of the nation. You know, I, I use the term or the word stuff. To me, that's the human condition itself. That's yes. the human condition, the stuff that we deal with on a daily basis. As you think about your work, what are some of the predominant themes that you deal with, that you discuss? Well, the predominant themes in my work are injustice and the manifestations of injustice, for example, poverty, racism, discrimination, homophobia, transphobia, man's toxic interaction with nature, sexuality, and struggles for power, emotional, political, and social implications in human relationships, philosophical concepts of beauty, paths of liberation, and of course, you know, experimentation with poetics. The beauty about poetry is that poetry embarks everything. A poet can, can almost literally write about anything and everything. Please share a poem. Yes. I would love to share with you a poem titled Trilogia del Lupanar. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the poem first in Spanish for all your Spanish listeners that are out there from Spain, Argentina, Cuba, Colombia, Puerto Rico. And then I will follow with uh, English translation. As you know, all, them, all the, my poems are originally in, in Spanish. This poem, Trilogía del Lupanar, is from the book Prostíbulo de la Palabra, or in English, Brothel of the, of the, of the Word. And it's a three-part poem, but I will just read the first part of the poem. And it has to do with the prostitution of something. And hopefully your readers will feel and will guess what that prostitution is. In Spanish, Trilogía del Lupanar. Sus movimientos delfinizados abren la puerta liberada del tiempo. El rostro entumecido, atrapado de mil mares, calla la agonía de vivir. Tiempo por cuanto, en ese cuerpo rendido por la piel desgarrada, poder, por el dinero gastado, por el teniente, el capitán, el sargento, el coronel, el soldado raso, y todos los que te abusaron, todos los que te usaron para soltar la honda rabia, para soltar a gritos todos, todos los nombres de los torturados, de los asesinados, porque ya no se pueden llevar en el pecho, bien enterrados en el pecho, que te abrazan, como si fueran dagas encendidas del infierno. Ay, ay, no quise, me obligaron, tenía que ser macho, probar mi lealtad, 
el nombre, el nombre, cómo se llamaba, el cuerpo sigue abierto, bien rendido de confesiones, de muertes, de rosarios, en el prostíbulo, que el prostíbulo santifica en el nombre del Padre, del Hijo, del Espíritu Santo, y quedas absuelto para siempre, porque el dinero, los pesos, los sucres, los bolivianos, los cruceiros, los colones, quetzales, lempiras, córdobas, balboas, guardíes, soles, bolivares, todos te han absuelto, liberado para siempre, libre del espanto, de la mirada ensangrentada, de cuerpo perforado, ella abierta, rendida, lo ha recibido todo como sacerdotisa purificadora de los males. Michael, I will read now the translation in English. Trilogy of the Brothel. And like I said, this is part of the book title, Brothel of the Word, and it refers to a prostitution of something which hopefully your readers will discover. Their dolphinized movements open the door, liberated from time. The numbed face, trapped by a thousand seas, quiets the agony of living. For who knows how long in this body, overcome by the torn skin, by the money spent by the lieutenant, the captain, the sergeant, the colonel, the private, and all those who abused you, all those that used you to unleash their deep anger, to shout out all the names of those tortured, of those murdered, because they can no longer carry them in their chests, well buried in their chests, so they embrace you as if they were burning daggers from hell, I, I, I didn't want to. They forced me to. I had to be macho to prove my loyalty. The name, the name, the name. What was the name of that body? He remains open, worn out from confessions of deaths of rosaries that the brothel sanctifies in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, and you end up absolved forever because the money, the pesos, the sucres, the bolivianos, the cruceros, the colones, quetzales, lempiras, cordobas, balboas, guarani, soles, bolivars, all have absolved you liberated forever, free from the fear of the bloody stare of the perforated corpse. She, open surrender, has received it all, like a priestess, purifier of all evils. Finito. I'm stunned by your work. Exceptionally powerful. Tell me more about that piece. Well, this piece, um, like I said before, Michael, is in, in three parts. Mm -hmm. I tend to write in, in trilogies because for me, the, the, uh, the, the number three is sacred. You know, it's like mother, 
father and child, in um, birth, life, death, not so much the religious part. And um, for me, this poem symbolizes in many ways how we prostitute our beliefs, our morals. Um, in Spanish, the word prostituir has additional meanings that they do not exist in English. In Spanish, prostituir means also to contaminate yourself, to sell yourself, um, to give, to, to surrender to lower things. So that's what I appeal in this poem is this character, how he has sort of prostituted his soul his heart for something that is not probably worth it. As you think about writing, how does a poem begin for you? With an idea, a form, or an image? Actually, um, none of the above. I really work more... Um, with the concept. I have a concept and that concept is um, what I work with. Um, and a concept is actually more um, specific than an idea. A concept is closer to a philosophical being or to a philosophical feeling. You know, this is a call-in show, and we'd like people to call in to talk with you, to ask you questions, if that's okay with you. Oh, yes, there sure. Are, I love well, there are a couple of people online, Benita. Okay. And I'd like to bring them on to ask you questions if they're willing to share. All right? Okay, sure. They may be listeners, but if they would like to say something, let's let them do it. All right, here we go. The first three numbers are 201 and 406, you're on the air with Benito. Good evening. Hello? Good evening. Good evening. Hi, Hi Benito Pastoriza. How are you? Fine, fine. Thank you. And you, thank you for calling. Thank you for listening to our poetry here. So nice to hear your voice. Yes, we are enjoying the beautiful poem. Absolutely beautiful. Congratulations. Oh thank, oh, thank you. Thank you. Do you have a question for Benito tonight? Yes. What inspired you to write such beautiful poetry? Oh, thank you so much for the question. Um, I think what inspires me is that I, I'm an observer of life. I'm constantly observing everything, and I'm like, I'm like a sponge. But I would say that Many poets would tell you the same thing, that being a poet is like being like a sponge. You absorb everything. I have traveled a lot around the world, and I've been to 47 countries in the world. And usually what I do is I, I, um, I observe, you know, the life there, the history there, the politics there, the society there. And I bring it in. I'm, you know, I, I absorb that. And then when I come home, I, I, I write about it. Excellent. Thank you so much for sharing. We're All so right. proud of you in Puerto Rico. Thank you so much. Enhorabuena. Muchísimas gracias. Muchas gracias. That's very nice. Very nice. Thank you for calling. All right. Thank you. 
We've got one more here. Area code seven eight seven. The first three numbers are seven seven nine. You're on the air with Benito. Hello. Hello. Yes. Good evening. Do you have a question for Benito? Maybe they're just here to listen, Benito. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's still beautiful. Still beautiful. Still beautiful. All right. Please share another poem. Okay. Sure. Um, now um, I will be reading a poem titled Chantal. And as I mentioned before, I tend to write in the trilogy for this poem kind of comes out of, out of a trilogy title, Trilogia de las Tres Princesas, which in English means the Trilogy of the Three Princesses. And this poem, Chantal, is the last princess. She's the third princess. So I'm, I'm reading the third poem in reality. And um, I'm not going to talk very much about the poem because I think if I talk too much about it, then I'll... Uh, you won't get the surprise of what it has to do about, okay? All right. Yes. So, here, so here is the poem in Spanish. Chantal, de Trilogía de las Tres Princesas. La peluca queda en la cuneta, aquel desborde de rizos, rubios ensortijados por la noche, ensangrentados de un rojo vivo, aún humedecidos por el rubor de la sangre, tacones diestros de caminata aprendida, quedan desprovistos del vivo sandunguero. La noche, la nochísima noche, te espantó, te robó la vida, de unas llantas que aplastaron el rostro que tan finamente construiste de encantos y esencias femeninas, ocultando todo el descabellado horror masculino que borraste. Ahora la noche, nochísima noche te traga, con una muerte de pisoteadas, de voces que te gritan, muere marica, muere puto de un crayón esparcido en la orilla, en la calle, la uña esmaltada en oro y plata, y el bolso que se abre a la noche, noche, nochísima noche, en un homicidio a las cuatro y veinte de la mañana. The poem in English, Chantal. The wig remains in the gutter. That exuberance, that exuberance of blonde curls coiled by the night, blood-stained and incandescent red, still moist from the blush of blood, skillful high heels in a learned walk remain deprived of the lively strut. The night, the nightliest night, Frightened you, robbed you of life by the tires that crush the visage that you so exquisitely constructed of charms and feminine essences. 
hiding all the crazy masculine horror that you erase. Now the nightliest night swallows you with a death of tramplings, of voices screaming at you. Die, faggot. Die, you tramp. Of a lipstick flung on the side of the road, the enameled fingernail in gold and silver, and the purse that opens to the night, night, nightliest night, in a homicide at 4.20 in the morning. Finito. End. I could really feel that piece that was so powerful. And your voice is so strong and rich. What is the relationship between your speaking voice and your written voice? Or have you discovered it yet? Well, um, Michael, um, I think that my, that my speaking voice is actually pretty close to my poetic voice, but only because it's Spanish. And, mm. um, and people would ask, you know, why? And it's because I feel that Spanish is a beautiful language. Spanish, yes, is, is. A po- it, Spanish is a poetic language. And as your listeners know, Spanish comes from the family of the Romance languages, French, poetry, I mean, um, Portuguese, Italian, all these beautiful languages that are used for the opera. So there's something about the language itself that is beautiful. So when I, when I write in, 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 in Spanish, the language itself is inviting me um, um, to, to poetry because Spanish is, is, a, is a very poetic language. Um, but, when I, but when I speak in English, for example, my voice in English is very, very, very far from my, my poetic voice. Well, let's take a brief break, and we'll be right back. Okay. Pastoriza, Ioto, Benito. Yes. All, great, all great writers have great writing influences. Who are some of yours and what makes them great in your eyes? Oh my God, what an excellent question, Michael. Um, most of the writers, Michael, who have influenced me come from Spain and Latin America. And of course, for your listeners, that should probably be no surprise. <laughs> and and those writers are, for example, Francisco Quevedo, 
I respect him because he's the poet of form and concepts. I love the work also of Federico Garcia Lorca, which probably your listeners know who Lorca is. I love him for his freedom and his musicality. Um, the poetry of Luis de Zenuda is exquisite. He's the poet of revelations. The poet César Vallejo is also another beautiful poet from Peru. He's the poet of existentialism. And then there's a woman poet that I admire immensely. Her name is Sor Juana Inés de la Cruz. She's the, the poet who questions authority and power. And then there's Luis Pérez Matos from my country, um, from Puerto Rico, that he, enrich, he enriches the language with new words and new creations. He's very inventive. And then there's Julia de Burgos, which is a great poet that I, I admire her immensely because of her universalism. She's a very universal poet. And there are many, many more um, poets that have influenced me. But all these poets are great because they were innovators. But at the same time, they had a deep knowledge and a respect for the authors who came before them. They had a respect for tradition. For them, what was important was poetry, not it was, was poetry, not their poetry. In other words, what was important for them was not to be famous, not mm. the recognition, but what was, what was important for them was the art, the genre. And that's what I tell young poets when I give workshops or when I was a professor. I would always tell them, what's important here is not you. It's not your ego. It's not your person. What is important here is poetry, is the art. You know, that is one of the questions that I plan to ask you. What is a measure of success as a poet? And you're sharing that it's the art itself. That's the measure of success. Exactly, exactly. Because <clears throat> I'll be honest with you, Michael, many writers, when they think about writing, they think maybe that they want fame, maybe they want to make money. For me, that is, those things are not important because if I want to make money, of course, we know poetry is not the way to get money or in fame. I'm not interested in fame. My interest is to be faithful to this art that I deeply love, which is poetry. This love that I have for, my, for literature also. I'm a great love, lover of literature. And I have I, I see my life as a vocation to, to, to poetry and to literature. I do it because I love it. I do it because it's an expression of me, not because I'm seeking fame or money or any of those things. Are you a poem? Oh, my God. Interesting question, and I was not expecting such a direct question. <laughs> um. Michael, yes, I think I'm a poem, but I also think that you are a poem. I think everybody is a poem. Everybody is a piece of beautiful art. They just have to realize it. They just have to find it and discover it inside of them. When I go outside, I'm sure you feel this too. You look at the world in a poetic way, and I invite your listeners, that when they go out to the world, look at the world with poetic, light, with poetic eyes, and they will be much happier human beings, believe me. 
We have another person on the line, Benito. I'd like to bring oh, them yeah. on. Okay. Area code seven two seven. The first three numbers are eight three one. You're on the air with Benito. Good evening. Good evening. Thank you very much. I was wondering if uh, if the poet could let us know whether he believes that there is a certain responsibility of a poet. Are, are they have should they have a responsibility for doing uh, something in in specific for for the people for. Uh, our, our society. You know, it's funny you asked that question. That was going to be one of my questions. So thank you. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for the, for the question. I think it's an, a very important and excellent question. Yes, I do believe that the, that the poet has a responsibility. I, I am not of the school of writing for art's sakes, art for art, like the French say, just for the sake for the sake of just writing a beautiful poem. I think that when a poem writes, he, he should convey a message that in one way or another <clears throat> should um, change society. And a perfect example of that was recently with Amanda Gorman. When she read her poem at the inaugural address, it changed the lives of so many people. And she gave hope to all of us. And the same when, when Maya Angelou did it and when Robert Frost did it. When poets speak to the nation, believe me, the nation listens to their poets. And Michael and dear listener, there are countries where they venerate, where they love their poets. Countries like Russia, for example. Russia loves their poets. Why? because they see their poets, again, like we started this conversation, they see the poets as the soul of the nation, the soul of the nation. And also, they see the poet as a mirror where they can see themselves. And therefore, the poet does have the responsibility to be truthful to his society, to his history, and to human beings, to, to human, to human beings. Right. Thank you for the question. Thank you. Thank you for calling, caller. Yes. You know, I need to ask you, Benito, what was an early experience where you learned that poetic language had power? It was at, it was at, a, at a very um, early age when I was a child. I used to write verses on the, on the bank of, of, of the river because I lived very close to El Junque, in Juncos, and um, and also my family lived close to Nahuabo, close. And I would write those as a child. I would write those poems, and and the, of course, you know, the water were, would erase them. And then one day, I decided to start actually writing those poem, those verses, and those poems. And when I grew up, you know, sharing them with with um, with my professors of literature, and you know, they told me, well, Benito, you know, there's there's you have something to say as a, as a as a writer, and so I, th- I think that feedback of of taking my poems from the banks of the river, from the shores of the of the beaches where I used to write, you know, my poems as an adolescent, to my college experience was when I realized that there was a purpose um, for for my poetry. Mm. 
Very nice. Very nice. You write, and you write about emotion. Yes. That's the human condition, the emotion. Do you think that someone can be called a poet if they don't feel strong emotions? Well, becoming a poet or knowing that you are a poet is a difficult journey. Because, you know, some people would say, oh, you're born a poet or you already have to be a poet in order to be a poet. And I see being, becoming a poet as somebody who has to be open to many things, Michael. That person has to be open to wanting to learn, to expand his or her horizons, to get an education, to be sensitive to language, to be sensitive to the, condi- to the human condition, to be sensitive to the arts, to be sensitive to music. And if you're able to open yourself to those sensibilities, yes, there will be a poet in you. The greatness of that poet, we don't know. You have to give yourself the opportunity to do that. But I do encourage people to take that journey of writing a poem, if not to share it with the world, to share it with themselves and to discover things of themselves that they didn't know before just by writing a poem. What do you learn about yourself when you write? Anything new at this point? Yes, yes, Michael. What I learn of myself when I write, my limitations. I learn a lot of my limitations. Like with the Socrates or Aristotle's, I don't remember who said it. I just know that I don't know that I don't know anything. That's what I learn. The more I study, the more I read, I realize my limitations. That I have so much to learn. That poetry in the world of literature is so vast, and that the journey would take 200 Benitos to do it. But the limitations also is something that is encouraging because I will continue writing till my deathbed, till I'm there dying, I'll be writing. All right. Please share another poem. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. Um. Now I will be reading for you a poem entitled, it's a short poem entitled Una Niña, which means a a little girl, a girl. And it's a poem that it's from my book, September Elegies, and talking about traveling and letting the events of the world come into my heart and my soul and my, and my mind. This poem is a perfect example of that, of my travels. In Spanish, una niña. Un viejo dolor es una niña huérfana, descubriendo la cotidiana mentira de un hambre de agua con azúcar. Casi descalza por los barrios de Lima, los cerros de Caracas, los ranchos del DF, los arrabales de Tegucigalpa, los caseríos de La Paz, 
San Juan, la mugre de la pobreza, en un Buenos Aires querido, en un Santiago que tanto se odia, se ama por la miseria, de las miserias en Quito, en Asunción, en Río, con las favelas hasta las narices, una van en desecho, un Santo Domingo muerto, una Managua arrastrándose en las ruinas, una ciudad de Panamá ahogada en drogas, un San Salvador en pura, purita desgracia, Guatemala ciudad, bomba viene, bomba va, Montevideo en el panorama del infortunio, un viejo dolor, es una niña huérfana, descubriendo la cotidiana mentira, atando todos los horizontes perplejos, coloros incoloros, agazapados de muerte, al arco iris, al viejo arco iris, al arco iris de la esperanza, ella siempre desnuda, siempre desnuda. And the poem in English. A little girl. An ancient pain is an orphan girl discovering the daily deception of a hunger for sugared water, almost barefoot, in the barrios of Lima, the hillsides of Caracas, the chanties of Mexico City, the Tegucigalpa slums, the squalid projects of La Paz, San Juan, the filth of poverty in the cherished and beloved Buenos Aires, in a Santiago, so much love and hated for its misery, of the miseries in Quito, in Asuncion, in Rio, with its unending favelas, a Havana crumbling, a Santo Domingo devoid of life, a Managua shuffling through its ruins, a Panama City drowned in drugs, a San Salvador in total and utter disgrace, Guatemala City besieged by bombs, Montevideo in the panorama of misfortune, an ancient anguish is an orphan girl discovering the daily deception, linking all the perplexed horizons, colored, colorless, hiding from the death of the old rainbow, the rainbow of hope, always naked. She's always naked. Hmm. Finito, the end. And the title of that piece in Spanish was La Niña? Exactly, Una Niña. What what role should a title play for a poem? How important is the title? Ah, Michael, my second big love besides literature and poetry is art, painting. Isn't it? Wow. Yes, it is. Picasso, um, Pablo Picasso, the painter, said that every artist, besides his own love, uh, for his art, he should, he should have, or she should have, a second art that that person or that artist doesn't necessarily practice, but will learn from it. So answering your question, when I look at a painting, my temptation always is, should I read the title or should I not read the title? Okay. Should I just look at the painting and then come with my own title? Or could the title influence me? I think with poetry, the same thing can happen. I think that um, the, the reader 
should sometimes experiment and say, okay, let me read this poem without reading the title, which of course is going to be hard because the title is there. Because at least with my experience, usually the title is the last thing to come, Michael, in a poem. You don't usually start with a title and then write the poem. Mm-hmm. Usually the poem, you work the poem, and then the title comes later. And answering your question, uh, Michael, sometimes I think that poems work better actually even without a title. I've had readers who have t- told me very honestly, oh, Benito, I love the poem, but I, I don't want to see the title. And I, mm. and I tell them, don't, don't, don't read the title then. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, we have another caller. Oh, okay. You're very popular, Benito. All right. Oh, let's, okay. bring, let's bring this person off. Area code 787. The first three numbers are 370. You're on the air with Benito. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. It's so awesome to, to hear these 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 big, amazing arts composed by by men, which is very rare nowadays, right? We usually hear amazing things from people from the past. So this is very rewarding. My question is, obviously, reading Benito's writing, it's very inspiring. Listening to his voice is to bring the peace to life with all the emotions and obviously you know, listening to the writings from the soul. My question is, do you ever feel exhausted after completion of a piece? <laughs> oh, my God, what a good question. <laughs> what, a, what a good question. It's an excellent question. Thank you so much for asking the question. Um, actually, the answer is yes, I feel exhausted. I feel emotionally and psychologically exhausted. In general, I do not like to give poetry readings. Actually, I shy away from giving poetry readings exactly for what, what you just said. You're absolutely right. I, I'm very tired and very exhausted after reading a poem, especially when I have to do it in two languages. Because when, when I do it in Spanish, at the end, um, Spanish is a very powerful language, as, as the listener knows. It's a very powerful language. So when I finish, I'm like drained, but then I have to recharge myself and go, okay, now you have to do it in English. And so it is quite a, it's quite a challenge, and, and your question is an excellent question, and it shows how <laughs> sensitive you are towards poets and artists in general. But you're amazing. Thank you for yes, your time this evening. Thank oh, you thank for calling. You, thank you. Thank you for calling. You know, Benito, some poets claim that a poem is like a living creature. Once it's out there, there's not much you can do to correct or improve it, while others edit meticulously, not leaving much from the original draft form. What is your take on it? I think that a poem sort of builds itself gradually. Um, and you, it has its own life, and you have to allow the life of of that poem to to come out. A poem is some, like something that is organic, because if you don't allow it to come like that, then the authenticity will be lost. Because for me, one of the most important things of a good poem 
or of a good poet is for that poet to be authentic because the the reader can tell when you're not being authentic. Mm. For example, if, if you fall under a school that are avant-garde, or you fall under a school of the modernist school, you're basically just following a style that people have created or poets have created. But the important thing is not to follow a style, but to create your own voice, your own style, even if it's not synchronized with what's happening in the literal world at the moment. So you have to let that poem get its own life. And sometimes, it's hard for some, for some people to believe, sometimes a single poem can take months and months to write. Yes, and other, and, Yeah, and other poems, it, you just write it in, in, um, in, in a day. For example, when I was writing the, the book, um, Cartas a la Sombra de tu Piel, Letters to the Shadow of Your Love, that book just came out very quickly. All the poems came out so softly and so beautifully. But the book, um, Cartas a la Sombra de tu Piel, was dedicated to my husband, Brad, mm. Bradley Warren Davis. So imagine we have lived together for, with um, 39 years together. So the, the, the poems were already there gestating. So when I started, they just came out, the birth was easy. But then I've had a book like when I wrote Brothel of the World, which is a more existential book. That book took a lot of research, reading philosophy, reading psychology. It took more time to write that book. Because it was it was deeper. Right. Let's take a brief break and we'll be right back. We are back. I am here with Benito. Benito, please share another poem. Yes. Um, I will read now a poem inspired in part by the Portuguese language, a beautiful language. Um, and this poem is titled Blue J. Bachão de Bachão in Portuguese means passion, and de means of flight. And um, I'm reading it first in Spanish and then in English, and it's from the book um, September Elegies. The drop falls immaculate into the perennials of red. Pajaro azul, jay of the night. Si, mas bien diré que si. La gota cae inmaculada por el desliz de tu cintura apasionada, transparentada de luz, y allí se deposita 
desprovista de sueños, que le recuerden que es mero sudor, mero trabajo de amor, un epidermis que en ti se enciende como canto de las llamas florecidas para recordar la fuerza, la fuerza de tus manos, de tus músculos, la pureza de tus dedos que martillan con la furia de un carpintero joven, del carpintero que construye la cerca que divide los patios, las propiedades, las divisiones y allí pájaro azul Jail the Night se establece en su vuelo de pasión, observando tu labor de hombre, de humano que bien se conoce, las líneas, las separaciones, las fronteras de Robert Frost, Good Fences, buenos vecinos, y el pájaro anonadado en su vuelo salta de cerca en cerca hasta llegar a ti, Hombre que construyes cercas propiedades y te mira de frente, bien de frente, espareciendo alas azules y negras y le sonríes como cómplice de una sola palabra, de una sola frase que tú bien conoces, hombre que construyes cercas y propiedades. And the poem in English. Blue jay, passion of flight, the drop falls immaculate into the perennials of red. Bluebird jay of the night, yes, at least I'll say yes, the drop falls immaculate at the curve of your waist, passionate revealed by the light, and there it deposits itself, devoid of dreams that remind it that it is pure sweat, a pure labor of love, an epidermis that in you burns like a chant of flowering flames to remember the force, the strength of your hands, of your muscles, the purity of your fingers, that hammer with the fury of a young carpenter, of the carpenter who constructs the fence that divides the yards, the properties, the divisions, and there the bluebird jay of the night establishes itself in its flight of passion, observing your manly body of a human who knows himself well, the lines, the separations, the borders of Robert Frost, good fences, good neighbors, and the bird overwhelmed in its flight, hops from fence to fence until arriving at your side, man who constructs fences, properties, and looks you in the face, directly in the face, spreading wings, blue and black, and you smile like an accomplice of a single word, of a single phrase that you know well, man who constructs fences and properties. Finito the end. Wow. (laughs) Powerful. Powerful work. You know, all poets have several words that come up over and over and over again. Words or sentences that they just can't help but use in their work. What are three of your absolute favorite words to use? Uh, three words? Yes. That are your favorite words to use. My favorite words to use. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Nobody had ever asked me that question. I like the words in Spanish 
that begin with A because they come from the Arabic language. Um, the Arabs were in Spain for 700 years and they left a beautiful linguistic legacy in, 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 in Spain. So all those words like Al that begin with A-L, A-R, I find them beautiful like Alma. Alma means soul. And notice how in, in, in Spanish it begins with an A and ends with an A. So it, it feels like a soul. Alma, or the word like aurora. Aurora means the dawn. Again, it starts with an A and it ends with an A. Aurora. Well, in, in English, for example, alma, which means soul. In English, it's very hard. It's like it stops and then uh, soul it stops. It's very yeah. definite. And in, and in Spanish, like in Italian and French, we have these words that begin with vowels and end with vowels. So I would say words like alma. Aurora in alma, soul, the the dawn, and and well, those three words, yes. All right, very nice. <laughs> that was perfect. Thank you. <laughs> I really like that. <laughs> I I enjoy a show when I can learn something too. So thank you so much. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you. You know, they say that to see the world with complete honesty, one should look at the comedians, poets, and writers. What do you think emerges naturally from your work? What emerges from you? I think that what emerges from me is um, a desire, uh, Michael, a desire to share a truth. A truth that sometimes we want to be blind to that truth or we want to pretend that that truth is not there or we shy away from that truth. I would say it would be that, the truth. The truth. Well, we have time. We have time for one more poem. Please share one more. And whether you want to share it in English or not, that's up to you. <laughs> but I want oh. to hear your voice one more time. <laughs> okay. The, the title of this poem is, um, um, actually, I'm going to read it first. Well, yes, first in Spanish. It's titled Fabricando Sueños. And it's a short poem. El botón va haciendo sus vidas. Un pequeñísimo botón de rabia, sudor, sangre, cortes de agujero. Mujeres enterradas en fábricas que anuden, surcen con rapidez, tejen, cosen, cortan, almidonan, barren, trapean, lavan, planchan. Los otros sueños, no los suyos, de un dios blanco, nácar blanco, blanquísimo como la cáscara, del coco como la nieve, Nueva York, que no vive por estas tierras, quien lo ha visto lo conoce, un dios blanco que mastica una lengua rara, rarísima además, que por el auricular ensordecedor se le oye gritar al mundo, more, more, more. The title of this poem is Fabricating Dreams. The button continues making their lives. A minuscule button of rage, sweat, blood, cuts from the buttonhole. Women buried in factories, they join darn rapidly, knit, stitch, cut, starch, sweep, mop, 
clean iron, the other dreams, not theirs, of a white, knackered white god, extremely white like the shell of a coconut, like New York snow, who does not live in these parts. Those who saw him knew him, a white god who mastigates a very exceedingly strange tongue that through the deafening earpiece one hears him shout, more, more, more. Finito. The end. (laughs) (laughs) Very nice. Very nice. I'd like to thank you for being my guest. You're an incredible person. Your work is, is, is exquisite. I wish you nothing but the best. Continued success in all that you do. Thank you so much, Michael, and thank you for having me in your program. I really enjoy speaking to you and, and also speaking to your, to your listeners. All right. Well, to our listeners, I'd like to thank you again for joining us. And as I share with you every week, let poetry ring. Good night, everybody. You have just listened to the quintessential listening poetry online radio podcast with your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And make sure to catch our next episode.